welcome Sipsters to a very special Sipping Sisters podcast. We're a podcast of three sisters who sip while we talk shit about silly, sexist, and sexy things on our screens. And tonight we have an honorary Sipster with us, Kate, from But Why Though podcast. Hi, Kate. Hi. <laughs> and you're with a solo sister. It's just me. This is middle sis Janelle. <laughs> but I'm excited because we can have a, a little bit more intimate conversation about On My Block. I am very, very excited. I am so happy you came up with this because I have been wanting to talk about on my block. Like I wrote a review of the season, but that wasn't nearly enough. Um. <laughs> Definitely. I can talk about this all the time and I find myself being like, oh, so you watched it and nobody like, it feels like nobody in my network anyway, my immediate network is watching it at the, yep. at least not at the pace, which like I binge this right after it came out too so i'm like okay i'm ready now and they're like yep. oh, we're still in season one i'm like what <laughs> how are you all the way back there how can i don't understand how anyone cannot keep on pushing play like i'm yeah. talking it was like a 3 a.m kind of thing where it's like obviously i need to keep going it wasn't even a question yeah i get i got really i get i've been really lucky in that i work from home on fridays mm. so i whenever like a new show drops on friday mm. i'm usually able to just hit play and watch it while i work like uninterrupted because like i watch stuff at work but like i can't give it like it, at the office i can't give it that type of attention yeah yeah definitely my kids get in the way which is annoying <laughs> like, uh, and there are certain ones like they can't like um, this one, no, they, they can't, be, I can't be like mysterious in the background. It's like, oh, you just don't know what that means. Or like, <laughs> like they're just most of, most of the Netflix ones, if we're going to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or at least I don't want them to say, I'd probably be fine with it, but then they're going to go to school the next day and be ah, talking about it and making me that look bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My dog does not have that problem. <laughs> <laughs> You don't know that amongst the other dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Although your dog is not that social, huh? Uh, no, but she does have one friend now. She's Yay. friends with the dog behind us. The her the her friend. So my dog's name is Leia. Her only friend's name is Guppy, and she's a super fat English, like a Brit, uh, French bulldog. Mm. Uh, it's adorable. It's a match made in heaven, and they <laughs> bark at other dogs together now. So <laughs> that's so cute. <laughs> oh that's so cute i can't i mean this is gonna sound really morbid but i kind of can't wait till our cats die so we can get a dog <laughs> oh, <gosh>. <laughs> <laughs> i love our cats so i do not want them to die ever and in my mind they will never die but i'm kind of i'm, I'm ready for the dog but we can't have a dog when we have the cats because they 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 do not do well mm -mm. <laughs> mm -mm. they barely do well with each other so ah that makes yes. sense yes yes um, so let's talk um, just real quick about, oh, actually, um, let's just get to know you a little bit. If you would talk about what But Why Though is, and then maybe sh share your social and any other information that you might want to share. And just as a, a bit of a an introduction, like we're at an award ceremony, um, <laughs> you know, it's been really cool to kind of like, you know, like when you're like, know the indie band before it blows up. Like I kind of, I feel like that with you. Or I'm like, oh, oh yeah, I know her. You're giving me such a big head because I don't feel like we've blown up. <laughs> I feel like I definitely feel like you have, and I just love. I do. I love all, and I do. I'm like, mm -hmm, yeah, I know her. Mm -hmm, yeah, oh my gosh, that's amazing. <laughs> but what has that been like? The success that you have had, you know, and they, that you feel, whether you're feeling modest or not, you know, what's that? <laughs> Um, so we've 
done But Why the Podcast for two years now. We just had our 100th episode and the podcast is pretty simple. Every week, uh, my husband and our good friend, we get together and we talk about the reasons that some pieces of pop culture matter. Um, so we take things that people love. Um, we just did an MCU episode and we ask, but why though? Why? Why do people love this? Why does it matter mm -hmm. historically, culturally, fandom significance, all sorts of things. We just dive into it. We get into the history, we get into the nitty gritty of its impact. And then uh, last year, the very first week of January, actually it was New Year's Eve 2017, uh, my husband and I, we were just sitting and we were playing a night, uh, was it uh, Star Wars The Old Republic together? <laughs> I was doing Japan and I got the idea. I was like, well, what if we start a website? Like, what if we do an actual website mm -hmm. and we have movie reviews and we have these things? Because at that point, um, we had gotten like maybe two press passes with the podcast, but not much. We were getting a lot of deny that like denies. And I was mm -hmm. like, but I know we can do stuff and I know we can cover this. So like, let's, you know, if we had a website that would help. And he kind of came up with all the logistics of the back end and he was just like, put out a call. And if people respond and people want to write for us, then then we'll do it. Mm -hmm. And people wanted to write for us. <laughs> yeah, they did. Um, so we started building out, and we've been doing it for about a, a little over a year now. We, we initially, I think it was like January 10th, was like our first date of having the site close to what it is in its current state. Um, my husband does all the CSS stuff to kind of customize our themes, and he tracks all the analytics and does all the marketing back end. And then I do a lot of the copy. I'm editor in chief of the site. So I, I, everything, either I edit it myself or I get the final pass from it when our other editor looks at it, you know, edits it. And we have a, we have con about is it, 21 contributors across gaming, comics, movies, TV. We have conventions, we have a convention section, we have cosplay. And for me, I think the biggest thing is I was able to get Rotten Tomatoes certified this yeah. year in, in I think February. Mm -hmm. And then we got to cover South by Southwest, which was amazing. And a big thing on the gaming front is we're actually sending a contributor to E3 as accredited press, which we were just kind of like, oh crap, because a lot of it was just shooting our shot and just hoping that we had like the numbers to like facilitate getting accreditation. And then when we did, it was like, oh, whoa, okay, well, let's <laughs> try this next thing. So yeah, that's kind of where we are. Um, and if you're listening to this right now and you're like, oh, I wanna write TV reviews or video game reviews or comic reviews, hit me up. Uh, DM at but why though PC on Twitter, uh, or you can DM me at oh my myth randier on Twitter. Um, and you can email us info at but why and stuff like that. Like, we're always looking to bring more people into our family. Oh, oh, and we're a podcast network, yeah. We got like 10 podcasts underneath our umbrella, <laughs> so we've 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 been trying to do a lot by building community first and putting that out there because. I, I have an academic background, so I essentially, like, before I left my PhD, or as I was leaving my PhD, I didn't want to lose my research, because I love researching. Um, mm -hmm. I can I can actually say I wrote, I wrote a master's thesis on comic books. Um, <laughs> so I love this stuff, and I was looking for an outlet, and the podcast was that, and then I was looking for a community, and the website became that. Yeah, and as somebody who's a consumer of your, your network and your... Um 
Yeah, your work. I think it's it, it works for me because it's it's not fluffy. It's it does have a very like critical eye, but it doesn't have I don't know, there's like a it, it, you can tell the academic background that you not only you but I wouldn't be surprised to learn that there are other people who are your contributor contributors mm -hmm. and, and who also have some of that, you know, kind of academic leaning or are, you know, particularly well versed in writing papers and research and stuff like that because it's like not subtweety, you know? <laughs> it's not. It's it's yeah. just it's just it's not passive aggressive. It's just like aggressive aggressive. And in, in the in the best way. I mean that is like such the biggest compliment. <laughs> no, I mean I I I really appreciate that and I and I want to say like my writers a lot of them uh I would say a good chunk of them are still in school. Um so still still going through that writing process and I I worry sometimes cuz I so coming from academics I've been told, can you read before in, in <laughs> while presenting, <laughs> which Jesus. sounds horrible and it, it is, it is crappy. But the thing is, is I am used to having my work cut to shreds to mm -hmm. make it better. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so for me, it, it's one of those things where I'm like, okay, guys, uh, we, we just brought on some new writers for our comic section. I was like, Hey, there's a lot of red on here. I want you to know, like, here's my background. Like, I, I like, I, I always feel weird. I always feel like I have to qualify it. Like, hey, I have peer edited <laughs> articles and peer in in, in 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 academic journals, and I like, I have, like, I'm not just some rando hacking up your piece. Like, I, I definitely mean that this is mean these things. And we've been really like, I've been coming to it open, and I've kind of been trying to make sure that I'm not too like, this is stupid. Don't put this in there. But more like, hey maybe elaborate on this. And if it doesn't work, cut it out. Um, yeah. But it's, it's, it's been really great. And um, Lizzie, who is the editor under me, she, she's also been really good with, with that. And we, we, we run stuff by each other um, all the time. But I, I would say it makes me really happy to hear you say that. Cause I, I try really hard to maintain the integrity of our site and maintain what is being put out. So like anytime somebody makes a claim, like one in four people, I'm like, okay, you can't say that unless you can hyperlink that to a study because you're not just going to say that out of nowhere. Hyperlink it, then you can say it. Um, and and so I we have a standard that I think is lacking in a lot of blogging that goes out now. Like I think a lot of people, like they do it for the clicks and they do it for the clout. And I'm like, no, if you have good work and you put it out there, people will see it and they will read it and they will be thankful for it. So that's what we're going to do. We're not going to be clickbaity and we're we're not going to do this other stuff. And uh, my entire team has just been really great. And it also helps that uh, my husband has a master's degree in biology. So we very much have the exact same like, okay, does this pass a fact test? Yes. Is there a hole in this argument? Let's plug it before we put it out. So that's something that's been been really good. Yeah. And it's funny you say aggressive aggressive, because I think in my end game review, I was like, where Hellboy showed us the worst way movies can be like a comic end game showed us the best way. <laughs> and, then, like, and somebody commented or uh, commented and was like, I really love that swipe at Hellboy. And I was like, Oh, shit. Oh, yeah, that was a swipe at Hellboy. <laughs> <laughs> Thought um, it was factual. It's exactly. Just, it is. Yeah. Fifteen percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Come on, not everybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
random movie. Yeah, no, I mean, like, I, I'm. It, it makes me really happy to hear you say that because it, it's something we definitely try, and it's something that I worry about sometimes because we do get review copies of things. So, like, we get review comics, and we get, you know, we get screeners for films and everything like that. I'm like, fuck, do I really like? They gave me this, <laughs> like, yeah. it, 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 it's this hurdle you have to kind of like deal mm-hmm. with in your head. This part of you is like oh my God, I'm so grateful that they're recognizing me and giving me this thing to produce Mm -hmm. content on. And the other half is like, but my integrity is important. Um, And that happened when we were at South by Southwest and I did a red carpet interview of the cast La Llorona. Like Mm -hmm. the guy next to me asked if Linda Cardellini liked pineapples on pizza. Uh, he's from a well-known site not gonna name him but uh you probably know him and i asked pineapple shade (laughs) it's so sweet (laughs) oh please clip that i love that (laughs) yeah what did you ask her yeah yeah the contrast i asked hey were you worried about maintaining authenticity in this movie given that Uh there are very few mexicans involved in this process Mm-hmm. Um, and you know what? I, I the movie was absolute shit. Mm-hmm. But I went into there with a more open mind because everyone from the writers and the director and the actors all like were open with me and like talked with me and didn't like close up when I asked the question. I was also one of the few brown people on the carpet, so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think that that's oh gosh, that's just speaking so many of my love languages. I've been thinking about that quite a bit because when you start maybe getting retweets or you start, which you have lots of experience and I have a little bit of experience um, of like somebody on the creative team, then you, there is this like weird pressure where you feel like, I don't want to, I don't want to like burn that bridge, but if being critical in a way that is evidence-based and with that, you can back it up, you can back back up your claims with evidence, then, then you should, if that person's going to retaliate against you and not give you more screeners or not going to like provide that for you, that's on them. You know, they they should be able to handle criticism of their work. Oh, yeah. And I think that there's also like this other thing that happens to you is like we live in a like in in especially social media, like this culture of extremes. Like you either have somebody who is a fluff, who is a fluff piece or you have somebody who is doing the absolute most to reach and pull as much as they can to either like to just completely be negative and tear something down because that also gets clicks mm-hmm. and there's not a lot of room for this middle ground, you know, the, the, the looking at things and looking at the aspects and like in, in like getting into it is one of the reasons why I started following you, like you personally and following, you know, like sipping sisters, like on Twitter and stuff is because you all were like, you were tweeting things with substance and talking about things with substance and like going into that stuff. And it's also one of the reasons why I don't talk about certain things on Twitter or I've stopped mm-hmm. talking about certain things on Twitter because there's such there's very little room for a nuanced discussion. It's the fluff or it's the hate and there's like there's n- almost no room and that's why we have a Discord channel and mm-hmm. you know we have group mes- messages cuz it's it's hard. Yeah, and I actually think that's a really great intro. So we'll just go ahead and skip our hair and da 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 because honestly, it's not that important. Um, because we started having a little bit of a Twitter discussion after I watched the second season of On My Block. It was like, I can't remember if it was the exact same day or it might have been the exact same day that I saw it, you know, as I was consuming it. But one day at a time had just gotten canceled. Mm-hmm. And I'm so 
pissed. Yep. So mad about it. <laughs> so mad. So very mad about it. Oh my gosh. Because <laughs> like all these other programs, like 13 Reasons Why Not, are like, oh my gosh. It's just maddening to have bigger budgets, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so I, you know, as I was kind of like thinking about it and I tweet, I can't remember the exact tweet, of course, but basically, you know, just feeling this frustration about how for, for my end, this, this frustration of like, it felt to me like if you don't fall in line show, if you don't fall in line and your Mexican characters aren't what we understand as like Mexican or as Latinx, you know, uh, one day at a time, it's not Mexican characters, but, but if you, but that's kind of like the thing It's like, Oh, if you're, if you're Brown, then you better be this kind of Brown. We better see gangs and we better see tattoos and we better see um, Catholicism. And if not, then you don't fit into this box and you don't belong. And then it's, I, it's, so it's either Brown or white and this is what is Brown and this is what is white. And you can't like, have any nuance to that. That's like the rage I was feeling. (laughs) And so I kind of like rage tweeted a little bit and, you know, and, and you responded and we're basically like, no, that's not, that's not right. You can't kind of like call something like on my block stereotypical or being, you know, kind of, this is my impression of your tweet anyway, of being like reductive to just being what we've seen before, because it does have nuance. And and just because it represents this, Mm -hmm. this thing that maybe we have seen as being stereotypified, that's not a word, but you know, um, tropified, whatever, that doesn't mean that this is that. And then you kind of added you know, just some, a little bit about uh, hints really about how that was personally meaningful to you, the way that on my block did it. And so then I like was like, oh no, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard though. It's hard. Cause like, I think I, as, as a culture and if, you know, from, and obviously each Latinx culture is different, but I, I think we all kind of share this same stereotyping that happens with this so when we see something and and we're having like we get very visceral reactions to some things right like i remember like i love uh blood in blood out and american me and and i love Mm -hmm. those movies Mm -hmm. but my mom growing up she was like no you are not watching that and i'm like but no like and now in her position now she's like well yes everybody should watch those those are touchstones in Chicano cinema. Like you should watch them, you know, they're deeper. They're those things. But for her, she saw an image of what it was. And she Mm. was like, this isn't, this isn't us. This isn't what you're going to watch instead of, you know, just having the visceral reaction to what it looks like versus the content of what's there. And I think a lot of the times, especially when we come into things feeling that way, we may miss some of the other moments that are happening along the way. Because for me, it was on my, like on my blog is my life. Like if you've, I, I was Monse, I dated a guy who got jumped into a gang after two years after we were dating. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was homeless. He lived in our house. He got arrested on my front lawn. I lived that life. I, you know, and the thing is, is like that life is there and bad neighborhoods are there. Like black and Latin families live in lower income neighborhoods almost mm-hmm. all the time. And so the difference is, is, you have it from a stereotyped perspective or you have it where you get to see the nuances and the life in the neighborhood, that it isn't just a bad neighborhood. Because that's one of the things that from the very first episode of On My Block where the kids are running down the street mm-hmm. and guessing what sounds like what gun is making the gunshot, that like 
they're not scared because that is just their reality. Like this is just what they have lived with. This is just what they have grown up with. And it's not painting their, their life to something less than it's painting. It as something that is still full, but it is different. Um, and I mean, I mean, I grew up in neighborhoods with guns, like with gunshots happening. Like there was a curfew in my, in my grandpa's neighborhood when we lived with them, we had to sleep mm -hmm. below the windows. Like I have those stories. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that there's like, there's this want to overcorrect. Mm. Like we've had it bad for so long. So now we can't tell any of those stories. We have to tell something different. Whereas in my mind, but how about we tell those stories, but from our lens now, mm. because we have that. And I think for me on my block, you have a representation of different types of Latinos, right? You have different, you have different types yeah. of Latinx. You have Monse is an Afro-Latina who's, who had to deal with severe anti-blackness from her mother. Uh, Caesar is a kid who makes a terrible decision, but because he has to, like people like to drag Caesar on Twitter, but I'm like, you try being a kid oh, who got kicked out of his house, had to join a gang to survive and had to make these decisions. It's not easy. You know, mm -hmm. Ruby is like, super happy and excited and has a perfect family that lives under one roof and loves each other. And he, he knows he's going to college. Mm -hmm. His brother went to college. His parents have that for him. And I think that that was one of the beautiful things. And, and actually when I read your tweet initially, that's what I thought. I thought back to the, to the episode where, oh, where um, Spooky and Ruby are cooking together at the, at the barbecue pit. Mm -hmm. And Ruby's complaining about his mom, and he's just like, "Man, why is she always on me? Just want her to stop." And and Spooky Sausages even just turns and is like, "At least you have a mom, you know." And it's yeah. like, "At least you have a home." And he's like, "Yeah, but I got bars on my windows." He's like, "Yeah," and you have parents in that house, and you're going to college. And he like literally tells Ruby, "What privilege." And it's one of those things that I don't think shows talk about enough is that we all have spheres of privilege and marginalization that sometimes intersect with each other. But like, I have an advanced degree. Like I have my, I have my master's degree. I have, I, I don't speak with an accent. I'm a citizen, mm -hmm. but I'm also darker skinned. I'm also, you know, I live in a non, you know, my city isn't predominantly, predominantly Latinx. I, I exist in all of these worlds. And mm -hmm. I think that what On My Block does, is it shows you the way those things intersect. And it shows you the differences that can happen. Like it isn't just one type of brown in that community. Yeah, There's a whole bunch. And Jamal, like Jamal is just a happy kid who wants to live out a Goonies adventure. Come on now. <laughs> like it's- Jamal bugs it's the shit out of me. <laughs> Yeah. I just don't like that type of like I think he's great it's just in real life like that kind of person he's so great that actor is great and I yeah. love like I love the character it's just that that person in my life I'm like oh my I just I'm like ah See, and that's the thing. like I actually think like love Jamal him. and Ruby like I love all the yeah, cast I'm Ruby. And I, oh. yeah <laughs> and for Very me much. Ruby and Jamal just bug me because I'm more like because I'm more like Monse and uh, yeah. Monse because I have a little, I have a my what's the English word for them? Sorry, that's okay. My mom's comadre. So Mexicans are like weird. They got comadres and madrina. So like a godmother and yeah, comadre yeah. is your co-mother, 
which means it's the godmother that's related to your mom. And anyway, somewhere <laughs> in my family, a god something has a kid named Montserrat who went by Monse her entire life. And oh. so whenever I whenever I saw Monse in the captions, I thought Monse. Mm. Um, but I'm more like Monse and Caesar in that like when you look at Jamal and Ruby, like they really have like they've been through a lot, but comparatively, they have not been through a lot. They both have loving families. Yeah. They both are, you know, not rich, but not broke poor. You know, it 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 and there are differences there. And for me, I, I see myself more with Caesar and Monse. Monse, especially just because like I've lived that life. Like when I yeah. when I, I I refuse to write anything on on my block season one because it was so personal to me. Mm. Like I I couldn't review it. I couldn't write think pieces. Like I just I, I couldn't because it felt like I was opening up too much. Yeah. Um yeah. but yeah, that's that that's so what I saw that I was like ah it's not just this it's more than this but like beyond that too like gang life is more than just shooting people and drugs like not everybody is there because they want to be like some big drug lord kingpin you know scarface guy those guys are there you know not everybody is there because they just want to be violent some those guys are there too but there are people who do it because if they don't join that gang, their family will be hurting. There are people who join a gang because they have to get money to feed their brothers and sisters and to feed their parents or to just protect their house. And I think that that's something that always gets left out of the conversation. And I think that on my block does it in such a beautiful way, especially um, the first season when Spooky is on the beach with Caesar and he talks about like, you know, he's like, mom was never there. And he was like, but I never knew, you know, but I always thought she was. She's like, and he's just like, well, I did my job then. Oh, like, it, it just, it wrecked me so much. Yeah. Like, it's a lot. Like, that, 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 that series is a lot. Um, and I have a lot of feelings. And I know a lot of them is, is personal bias. But. Yeah, but I think that that's the job of TV is to personally bias us uh, in a lot of ways. And I think... Yeah, I mean, I just appreciate deeply just how just hearing from you and and just learning that. And I think, yeah, a lot of that is resonating with me. And and I definitely do identify not with Jamal because he's just so over the top goofy and like scheming. (laughs) And I'm like, I would like the entire idea of gambling because it's been such a problem in my family. Like, I just can't even go there. And and he's so risky. But for Ruby, I think that his, to me, his saving grace in season one, not saving grace in his character, but like what makes me not worried about him is his education. And I'm, I'm a teacher. And so that's, that's definitely such a big lens that I have when I'm watching these shows. And when I, you know, I taught in Baltimore city and, and that's formative for me as an individual and for my understanding of of living in a place where it's so stressful and your choices are are just like, it's like warfare choices basically. Right. And I, I was, I was an educator in that situation. And so that's, that's kind of like how I see this. So I watch the show and I'm like, well, first of all, where are the teachers? (laughs) It's like this huge thing. And um, the other thing is just these experiences that I've had where students are, you know, I've, 
I had the, I, I had these um, these students and, and 98% of my students were black students and they were nerds. Oh my gosh, I love them so much. And just nerds like Naruto. And we would, we would have these like long discussions about the different games that they would play and, and all of this stuff. And they, they looked like it, right? Like they would wear the t-shirts and like have all of their all of their like whatever all of their fantasy stuff that was going on you would love them so much i need to introduce you at some point but that didn't prevent them from getting pulled over and harassed by cops and that didn't prevent them from from the outside world the outside especially the outside white world treating them like they were automatically gang members and they were automatically drug dealers and they were automatically dumb and I think that that's the lens that I bring where I worry about, I just worry about that so much where I want to see, I want to see what I've been able to see, which is the deep intelligence and nerddom and youth. Like I want to, I want like, like Spooky is a kid, you know, like he's a kid and they're there that that said, that is such a strength of, to me, at least that's such a strength of on my block. Like you see that he's a child making very, very adult decisions as he he's been making since he was probably eight. That would be like my guess, right? It's like thinking about the timeline of their life. And that's, that's such a reality, but I worry about people watching and then ascribe, like basically coming to kind of like more basic conclusions and just pasting on every Brown kid that they see this identity of adulthood, of violence, of like criminality. It's, it's so hard because you're, you are 100% right. That is not the message that on my block is. I just worry about it being what people take away from it because of, because just because I guess that was, yeah. that was a lot of talking, but no, I mean, I think, I think you're right. Like it's, I mean, that's one of the reasons why we push so hard for like good representation, right? Yeah. Like, for me, like, I don't, I and because I was in a place where like oh I'm just gonna support this character because they're a brown character I'm just gonna like oh I'm gonna stay on this person because she's a woman here and that's it it's like but I've I've stopped doing that because I've kind of realized that if I just accept that this is what we have and this is the best and I praise it and I praise it and I praise it that's all we're gonna keep getting and I, I see what you're saying. And like, like, like you said, like the message of all my block is deeper. And I think anybody who watches it will understand that because of how well-written the show is. But if somebody just sees that on in passing, they're just like, Oh, that's a, that's a, that was going to say a cholo, but like, they probably just think that's a thug. Like mm-hmm. what, you know, what, why, you know, why are you watching this? That type of stuff. They're not going to take time to know more, but I think, I think it's hard too because like I did grow up with guys who were men when they were 13 yeah and it wasn't because they were physically men or mentally or you know mentally they had just gone through trauma yep they had just gone through things and had to make decisions and had Mm -hmm. to move in a way that was there and so it, it it's hard because it's one of those things as like as a society we don't afford black and brown boys you know, that ability to have their childhood, which is, and it's one of those reasons why I love Jamal and Ruby because they're Mm -hmm. still very much kids. Totally agree. And then you see Caesar (laughs) and it's like, well, 
Caesar's seen some shit. <laughs> Caesar's been jumped in. Caesar's been like his perspective and his life is completely different. And, and it doesn't justify people treating him that way because he's still a child. Totally. And Spooky is still young. Like it, but at the end of the day, like how do you balance that? How do you deal with that? And all of it just comes to people not making assumptions. Mm. But I, I, I think the best thing is that I think on my block by presenting this story is able to get this story in front of more people that probably wouldn't have known that. And now those people aren't going to make those snap judgments. Now those people aren't going to make those assumptions or, you know, put every brown kid in, in Caesar Spooky's position because they know and they see the nuance and they see Ruby, who's the opposite of that, right? Mm -hmm. Ruby's not rolling up on anyone. Like that's it's not gonna happen. Like he, you know, that's that's not who he is. And I think the fact that there is a diversity amongst the type of kid and personality and background of what they're showing, I think the show does more good than harm. Because I think it would be very few people who are like, oh yeah, that's just a brown person show. But like if they actually watch it, they're gonna get more out of it. But I think it's definitely like I'm always concerned. Um, like, there's that. What is it? There's that movie El Chicano, which is like a. Have you seen the trailer for that? Um, I don't know that I've seen the trailer. I've seen a couple of little blurbs about it. Oh, it's awful. The mm. trailer. Mm. So oh, like well. they're billing it as like the Punisher, but brown. Oh. And yeah. Oh no, I did see that. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of the good ones goes and kills all of the bad ones. Oh, yikes. Yeah. Which and and it sucks and I got into a, a talk with uh, one of my writers actually in in our in our group message she was like I'm actually for this and I really like it and I was like, "Well, I I don't like this at all." Mm -hmm. I was like, "They're just like we're literally just a whole bunch of drug dealers again." Like the entire like there's yeah. one guy who isn't a drug dealer. Yeah. Um, but, and, and his perspective was interesting. He was like, yeah, and all the people that uh, the Punisher kills is white. Like, hmm. why is that? Like, why can't we have a story of revenge that is the same thing? Like, why can't we have that revenge fantasy that is happening? He's like, and he, he was saying, he's like, well, you know, if he's, he's from a low-income neighborhood, there's not going to be a whole bunch of white people he can go kill. <laughs> like, they're not going to be the ones screwing over, like, systematically, <laughs> yes, but, like, it, that's not that that's not the reality. And it's, it's written by a Mexican-American. It stars, like, a whole bunch of Mexican-Americans. So it's not one of those where you can be like, oh, this is some white bullshit. Like, no, like, we actually wrote this, we did this. I'm not here for it. I, it bothers me to so many degrees. But that was just a perspective I hadn't heard before. Because I was like, that's like, I get what you're saying. And then, but the other part of me is like, but do we need that right now? Like, yeah. we're facing yeah. so much criminalization. Right, right, right. Do we need that right now? Um, mm. That's fascinating. I'm going to definitely think about that more. And it brings to mind audience and intended yeah. audience. And then like, why don't, we, you know, we have so many Latinx people who are consuming TV and media. Why isn't it catered towards us? Yeah. And, and I, it's just also reminds me of just what came to mind in, I can't remember the year, I don't know, 2014, something like that. I don't know if you remember when in Baltimore there were, what came to be called the riots, oh, right? Yeah. And um, 
those were, you know, the, the people who kind of where that started was right where I taught high school. And, and I just remember having these conversations with my high schoolers about violence and about, about riots and about kind of like the, the, the extent of action and like, like, okay, more or less, well, what the heck else are you supposed to do? How, when a community is so oppressed, when there are no groceries, when there are no access to jobs, when you're completely like our school had, had no water. We, all of our water fountains had like bags over them because there was so much lead. Um, I had several students who had lead poisoning. All of these, of course, compounding impacts of poverty and racism um, and sexism on your on your community. And then like, when is enough is enough? And what is like one act of like throwing a rock at a freaking Apple store? How is that interpreted? And what does that really mean? And what else are your options? What do you do? Yeah, like that, just what you were saying about like a revenge fantasy, like you can only cage a living being so long before they begin to behave like a caged being. And it amazes me how little violence, it, it really does. It amazes me how little, it amazes me the expansive capacity for peace that people of color have. Yeah. I think like it just, it's just, how is it possible to take that much and not respond with murder? Yeah. So it makes sense that there would be that outlet. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean you're I mean you're right on. I mean it's it's one of those things that I thought it's like oh yeah, there was a thread on Twitter that was just videos of like people punching racists in the face. Like <laughs> like just it, it was just funny and I got to think about it, I was like, wow, I was like surprisingly I feel like this one, this isn't a long thread. And two, I it's one of those things where like because I think back to my own life and there, there are times where I'd be like, man, I would, I wanted to punch that person or I wanted mm -hmm. to do that. And I, I didn't, Yeah, you know, and it, it's one of those things that like, when you put it in perspective and you think about it, it gets, it's like, damn, like, <laughs> damn, like actually mm -hmm. if we acted the way people say that we act, mm -hmm. like yes, it'd be exactly. a whole different story. Exactly. Um, mm. But I mean, and it's the same thing too. Like I, I've gotten into a couple of fights with another critic on Twitter because she hated Alita because the woman it was it was just a revenge fantasy and it was or not it was not it wasn't revenge it was it was just a strong female character and it wasn't anything more and she went through I was like yeah I was like but there's still a place for that like you like one Robert Rodriguez rewrote James Cameron's stuff so you can't just keep throwing it on him but like they like we don't have to throw out the in in a not every trope has to be thrown out mm -hmm. because i think that a lot of them come from a good uh, not, a, not a good place but like it, it, when nurtured they can be done right and for me like when i look at like female representation like you know people are like oh well this is just a revenge fantasy and this is just this and mm. i'm like but I like seeing, like, I don't, like, I don't need her to have a whole bunch of story. Because, like, Frank Castle went through a, sh using the Punisher again, he went through a shit ton of trauma and then just decided to go take it out on people. I'm like, mm -hmm. and there are so many male superheroes who mm -hmm. just go through a shit ton of trauma and then get to go take it out on people. Mm -hmm. And yeah, well, for true. me, I'm like, when I see people saying, well, mm -hmm. this is reductionist for women and this, I was like, yeah, I was like, I understand what you're saying. 
but we should also be afforded the same opportunity to have those kinds of stories. And so when, when my writer said that, I was like, oh, I kind of see what you're saying. Still don't like it, but I understand what you're saying <laughs> because it's kind of like our hands get tied behind our backs and we get mm -hmm. we yeah. get left, not that like these aren't stories of pain, but like it's one of those reasons why I'm in love with Guillermo de Toro's work so much is like we're kind of, as people who are deemed other, we're not allowed to explore different types of genre unless mm. it is exploring our own historical trauma. Like those are the only times people want to hear it. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and the world's changing now, but I think a lot of the time, like, yeah, give me a mindless action movie with a female lead and just have her get a shotgun and go start shooting. Like, I, like I've seen 20 movies about Bruce Willis doing it. Like, just like, we can get them with women too and it doesn't have to be bad like we can have mindless action flicks the same way we want a movie with deep character building and you know stuff like that and it's it's hard representation is this funny thing where it's like it's something that's very personal to people obviously but it's also something that gets thorny because because it's personal everybody has their own idea of what it should look like i mean and like if you look at it like Avengers Infinity War. I loved Gamora's arc. It. I didn't care that she died. Like I thought that for once she was, and it's funny because it's the opposite. Gamora was always just the strong person cutting people up and doing that. But now you got to see that like, no, she has vulnerability. Like she mm -hmm. got built out in that way. And then I get on Twitter and everybody's like, they fridged her. And I was like, that's not the definition of fridging. Mm -hmm. That's not the definition of fridging. They like, she just died. She's been developed, um, yeah. Yeah, like, but and you're negating the fact that she just went through all this other stuff, and then it's. But at the same time, like that's how they read that media. That's how they interpreted that media, mm -hmm. and that and for them that wasn't good representation. But I, mm -hmm. I, I definitely think, as we get more people of color, um, as we more as we get more just women in general in in positions yeah. we're gonna have to change this narrative where it's like oh they killed off x character that's automatically bad because they're this i'm like yeah but the entire cast is this like totally yes like we have an entire like if you even if you like if you look at star wars it's like there's nothing like the majority of new characters have all been women or people of color mm -hmm. that's how it's been so it's like when you get to a point where it's like, oh, well, they killed this person off They're doing this. I mean, this is excluding solo. I understand the solo thing that is, that was definitely fridging and stuff like that. But like when we advocate for more inclusion and then they put us in these same storylines that have been happening just with the white character, like it, I don't know. I don't want to say like, we can't get mad. Like obviously your feelings are valid, feel how you want to feel. And you know, we all consume media different ways, but I'm also like, if we keep, like, we're just gonna stop. We we have to realize that some tropes die when that happens. Because mm -hmm. I'm kind of like liking it to like to horror movies, mm -hmm. right? Like, like okay, um, Winston Duke kills Winston Duke. <laughs> Sorry if you haven't seen us. Um, Winston Duke <laughs> kills Winston Duke. That's the first. That that's one of the first kills, right? Mm -hmm. Like that. Technically, that is a black man being the first man to die in a horror movie. That's a trope. But it's but. different because <laughs> there is a main black cast and it wasn't like it wasn't done in a way that was tropey, but it is still a trope. Like the black guy was the first to die. Mm -hmm. 
like that is still something but like we have to understand that like tropes change when casts change and we need to kind of understand how this go i feel like i'm rambling now i've just i just thought a lot about it because i'm just like yeah i just i, I just i don't want to say people reach a lot I, I just think that we were kind of living in a knee-jerk reaction at least on twitter uh, which is why i like reading stuff that people write because i'm like okay usually what people write can be more thought out and you know more nuanced or talking in, in group dms but i'm just kind of like we can't ask for everything and then be like like in every hero's journey there's a tragic story so like we like somebody has to die <laughs> somebody's gonna die somebody's gonna go through trauma and it just needs to be looked at as whether or not it's executed well and that's it and i think whether or not the same opportunities of character development meaning and like you know, being a hero or being a, a tragic hero are afforded to, yeah. to minorities, to people exactly. who are underrepresented. Because in a lot of ways, dying a hero's death is a gesture of respect and like yep. a good thing in storytelling in the sense of it elevates you. So th this is happening in the Roswell, New Mexico fandom right now, where it's basically like, you know, there's a gay character and a bisexual character and they have this like hot steamy romance. It's awesome. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's CW hot. I'm into it. Um, but like, it doesn't, it's, it's, a, it's the first season and it, it doesn't end well for them in the sense that they're not like together and happy and like, you know, freaking building a marriage. Yeah. And the thing is like, yeah, I, I get that that's what people want, but they don't really want that. That's not storytelling. That's it's in my view, it's re it's respectful to give characters the arc that a straight cis white character would yeah. have. And exactly. they don't get together happy and, and yeah. pleasant on a drama at the end of the first season. Yeah. So, you know, that and, like, and there is every single drama couple that exists in exactly. daytime, in, you know, in primetime television. Exactly. Exactly. And there's a difference between that and like the, you know, queer baiting. Like exactly. there, there's a difference, but it's so hard because just like you're saying, you don't ever want to invalidate how somebody's feeling and that. And, and that's the thing is we're and this. Is, and this is the problem. It's that we never should have gotten to this place in the in the first place where we're so starving. Mm -hmm. We're we're in a we're in a starvation mindset where we're so starving for representation that it becomes this this feasting, you know, frenzy. Yeah. And then we're 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 hurting the wrong people. We're we're, we're lashing out on the wrong the wrong people. We're lashing out at the people who are trying to do the right thing and who are doing a good job which is kind of like what my tweet, my tweet was, you know, because we're, we're so kind of in that zone of like, it has yeah. to be what, what I know it should be. And I'm so yeah. worried and I'm so scared and I've been burned and I've been hurt. And that's where people I think come from, yeah. which is also why I think that Jasmine is one of the most important characters on season mm -hmm. two of on my block. Oh yeah. Because she, that, you know, those couple scenes with her, you know, where she just, she's there, like the fact, you know, I mean, the whole idea of her being there for Ruby during his panic attacks and like just being the person to kind of just everything about her arc, honestly. I wish that there had been more of her in the latter yeah. half of the season or the second half of the season, but just kind of how she's able to say, I occupy this different space and I'm my own champion and I, I defy stereotypes while also just enjoying who I am as a person. Yeah. 
And that is something that I don't think I've ever seen before. I mean, that, yeah, I was pretty taken aback by that and in, in, in the best possible way. Yeah. No, I mean, I completely agree. And, and Jasmine has depth and she's, she, I mean, I, I love her. I mean, there's not really much I can add to that. Cause I was, that was perfectly said. I mean, I completely agree. One of those things that I've been thinking about too, is like let, um, Latinx communities make up I think it's we were 18% as as of the last census. We were mm -hmm. the largest ethnic minority in the country. Yeah. We get we hover between three and five percent of on-screen representation. Outside of Native Americans, it is the lowest percentage per population for on-screen representation in speaking roles. And it doesn't look like it's changing at all when you look at movies. And in TV, and I mean, I guess TV is probably faster, but TV's always been faster, right? Like, but mm -hmm. if you think back to it, it's like we don't have a lot of those stories. We don't get those movies. We we got we said we want a representation, and we got fucking Dora the Explorer. Like, mm -hmm. we don't have we don't mm -hmm. have a Latinx figure in the MCU. Now we mm -hmm. have Latinx actors. We have Tessa Thompson. We have um, Algina Sebastian. Uh, Sebastian. Oh, oh, I've always forget his last name, but um, his name's Alginus. He plays one of the Kree soldiers in Captain Marvel. One of the, one of the blue people that gets no screen time. Mm -hmm. We have uh, Zoe Saldana. We have Lupita Nyong'o, who's Mexican and Kenyan. A lot of people forget that. Um, and we have Michael Pena, but none of them are heroes who are rooted in their Latinidad. They're not rooted in mm. their, they're not actually Latino or Latinx right. in the universe. I mean, Michael Pena is, Luis is, but he's an ex-convict. And in his first showing, he made a deportation joke. So like, and everybody else, like Lupita Nyong'o is, is Nakia she's she's Wakandan that that's that's all she is there's she's not grounded in Latinidad um uh Tessa Thompson is Valkyrie she's as guardian she's not even human mm -hmm. um you know Algenus is Cree and blue Zoe Saldana is another alien and green mm -hmm. <laughs> like mm -hmm. we don't we don't have that type of thing and and i mean i guess we got close to spider you know with into the spider verse which was great and i love that film but that's not that's not mcu proper that's not the largest franchise that is about to make a billion dollars in a mm. movie that was open for four days right like so i kind of use it as a staple because i'm just like we don't even have a a, a latin disney princess mm. like and before you at me with elena of avalar because you do um there's always white people that do that too uh, um she's grounded in spanish heritage yeah spanish mm -hmm. and latinx are not the same thing the spanish colonized all of us mm -hmm. we just we have a long way to go and i think that's why sh that's why i think on my on my block is so important but it's also mm -hmm. why i i think one day at a time is so important because like mm -hmm. to your point in your original tweet like that was just a sitcom. That was just a family. That mm -hmm. was a different experience. That was a family dealing with family things. You know, it was heavy hitting sometimes, but it was, you know, it was, it reminded me of like the 90s family sitcom shows that we never got. We never got to be a part of that, you know, mm -hmm, of, exactly. of that age, but we mm -hmm. got it in, in one day at a time. And mm -hmm. it's sad because I'm just like, okay, Netflix. I Netflix has just been axing their shows left and right. And I'm just like, wow, are we going to get a third season of all my block? Yeah. Like, that's exactly what I thought with Santa Clarita. Yep. Cause I don't I'm, watch Santa Clarita. That's the first thing that I thought. It's like, yeah. Oh, 
I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm terrified. Well, I, mm -hmm. I love Santa Clarita. And that was mm -hmm. the first thing I thought. <laughs> <laughs> and if Netflix is our only hope, like that's not good enough. And, and that's, I think, a, a difficult thing where, like you're saying with the, with the census, you know, the, the you have the national, um, you know, demographics. But then when you look at Los Angeles, where most of these films are made, where most of this, um, where Hollywood is happening, it's majority Latinx, you know, yeah. it's 48%. And yet all all at every level there's this exclusion and if mm -hmm. the only place that you're seeing from from your executives to your you know if, if you're an executive and you're deciding hmm am i going to continue this netflix show and you're going out to lunch and the only place that you're seeing a brown person is behind in the kitchen and and you're assuming that you can't even communicate with that person because you think, oh, I don't know Spanish. And that person is certainly only gonna know Spanish. Like that's that's the like lore and thing that we're we we're stuck in and we've been stuck in because there isn't progress, even though like if the greater Latinx community was basically like, no, we're not gonna continue to just like haul your shit and do all of your work for you and like carry ca take care of your freaking kids and your you know all of these things that we do in service and then all the things that we do to waiting hoping for the opportunity to make it into the places of power if we were just like no it would be interesting to see what that would be like because they couldn't make it literally film and television cannot be made without the latinx community it, it cannot, it yeah. would not function. It we, would grind to a halt. We spend the most on tickets. Mm. Like the, the Latino, like the Latinx dollar is insane. Like we have the, 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 I think it's like the, the GDP of like a small country with what we spend. And, you know, on top of everything we do in the background and doing everybody's work, like I, I'm thinking about like Texas is, I think Texas is like almost 40% Latino across the board. Which is another reason why I won't watch your show if it's set in Texas and there's not a, a Latinx lead or at least a Latinx like somewhere because I mean yeah. I come from San Antonio it's it's about I think it's about like sixty five to seventy percent Latino and of those Latinos it's ninety percent Mexican so it's one of those things where like if you have something that's happening in the Southwest if it's happening you know wherever stuff or even look in New York with the large Puerto Rican population like we're everywhere and yet you're not considering us in things mm -hmm. definitely and it and it's rough and it sucks because it, it's like you're continually getting told that you're not you're not enough mm -hmm. you're exactly you don't, you don't deserve that and it's you know it's uh, it's frustrating it's frustrating mm -hmm. and, and it's one of those like i just i was thinking about the new uh penny dreadful city of angels show that i was actually really excited for because it's based on mexican-american mexican, -American, mexican fol folklore in 1930s los angeles they've mm -hmm. casted three latinos <laughs> they've casted seven white people <laughs> so that's funny yeah. I mean, it's not funny at all it's like nope it's yep because that's not that's not the story. Yeah, not the I'm just kind of like, oh, you couldn't find a Mexican in mm -hmm. Los Angeles. You couldn't find a Latin or a Latinx in in Los Angeles. Like exactly, that's the thing that's <laughs> maddening. Is people are like, oh, well, how could I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> you have to go out of your way to cast in that manner. 
And it's also this like lie that people only want to see white people. Mm-hmm. Like, no, we don't like the number. It's like, it, and that is what racism does. It, it makes people go against what they're saying or their interests, which are capitalist interests. But no, it turns out when you, your beliefs are false. Your beliefs yeah. that like Mexicans are, are like criminals is false. And so yeah. when you approach it with that lens, you are losing on money. And it kind of like makes me think about like one of the other reasons why I really liked on my block is like, it's not an immigrant story. Mm, yeah. It's about kids who have always been here from families who have been here for a long time. Like that's the other thing I think happens to us a lot. And I think it's one of the reasons why in diversity conversations, you know, a lot of the time we're, we're not featured is because everybody thinks that Latinx as a whole are, are foreign. Yeah, you know, we're not a part of America. We didn't do anything. And I'm just like, we built the Southwest. Uh, yeah. Like we like we were like it's that whole it's that joke, right? The border moved on us. Like, yes, yes. We've been here. Like my family, we've my grandma's side of the family is native and 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 Latin. And my grandpa, my grandpa came from north, north, north Mexico, just right over. And but even then, it was his mom who came, not him. He's he was born here, and it's one of those things. Or when you when you look at it, it's like we're not foreign. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of the time, because and and you know, immigrant stories are important, but those are the only stories we have about Latinx folks. Yeah, mm-hmm. you don't have stuff beyond that. Like I don't want to hear a you know, it, 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 I don't want to see another movie about deaths on the border and I don't want to see another movie about traumatic immigrant experiences or like because that feeling of not belonging that like interesting coming of age story where you don't feel like you belong that happens for Mexican Americans all the time Mm -hmm. it happens for first second third you know fourth generation Latinx more broadly all the time like for me like I'm I can't pass for anything but brown, but I don't speak Spanish fluently. I don't have an accent. Like I don't have connect. I've never been to Mexico. My country is not Mexico. My country is here. Mm-hmm. My home is Texas. I've never known anything else. But because of that, because I'm brown, I don't fit in with the culture that tells me that 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 tells everybody that brown is foreign. And because I'm so American, I don't fit in with you know, the, the Latinx and Hispanic organizations, like when I was in college, like I couldn't join any of them because they would do everything in Spanish. They would privilege Spanish over everything else. And it was very much like, oh, you don't speak that? Well, you can't sit with us. And it's, it's, it's rough. And, and like, those are like, like the type of experiences that we have are rife for like great storytelling. And yes. I think On My Block shows that. I think One Day at a Time showed that with Elena. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah and colorism and talking about passing and talking about spanish and talking about all of that definitely i recently did a project with one of the classes that i that i teach where we were looking at fronterizos during the mexican revolution and it's something i was never taught never and i i grew up in mesa arizona and in southern california (laughs) like never had learned about the border and about all of the struggles there. And, and the, the things that you learn about the border are like Alamo. You learn about, yeah. you don't learn about like Tejanos, you learn about, you know, Texas Rangers, yeah. which is not the story of, you know, it's not the story of California. It's not the story of Texas, but you know, it's, it's interesting 
I mean, just on a personal level, you know, my dad is Mexican and the way that his family and my family kind of have been is very, very much border. Like we have always lived on the border and it's, it's, it's one of those things where like some of, some of his brothers were him included, went to high school in Mexico and then graduated and came back. Some of them were born in Mexico. Some of them were born here. Um, You know, my grandpa lives in Tijuana and my Mm -hmm. grandma lives here and, you know, just, and, and it's, it's like fluid and it's like, they also are like all of these other things that are not um, coded Mexican, right? Like they're super progressive, you know, n- not one of them is going to church on Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, like they just, that's just not the culture. You know, they just had a different kind of culture and it's a story worth telling, but I've always felt like I could never claim that identity because I wasn't the Mexican that I, that, that like I saw, you know, I wasn't real. That's that always is like, well, I'm not really that, you know, well, my dad also left. I didn't learn Spanish and, and he didn't tell his family was going on. So like, I can't talk to my grandma very well because she almost only speaks Spanish. Yeah. It's like, there's that authenticity anyway, which is just a long way to say, like, you know, we, I, I yearn to feel included in a culture that I've never really been able to claim for myself. That's something that I wish TV could provide. I wish that it could provide this pathway and this avenue to saying, just like white people have always had, there's room here for all sorts of different experiences that cross a cut across that cut across class and gender and like different countries and different, you know, different experiences. But we don't get that because of that. So just that like drastic lack of representation. So it, it becomes like people won't recognize it as a Latinx story if it doesn't have these features. It's painful. It's a yeah. weird thing that's painful because I also recognize that along with like I can pass I can pass as now in, in my older and with shorter hair, I, I can pass as off white, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> like people like, mm, you're you look mm. you're spicy white. Yeah, <laughs> ethnically ambiguous. But people I, often people are like, Oh, you're Mexican? You know, I wouldn't have guessed, um, you know, because I'm also like 5'10 and I don't fit their, you know, necessarily yeah. their stereotypes of what that and is. I'm a short, chunky brown girl. And when I speak well, I get told, oh, my gosh, you don't have an accent. Oh, my God. I, I say y'all a lot. Does that count? <laughs> I always want to say in those situations, like, oh, my gosh, you're not what I thought you would be. I was like, oh, oh, you're exactly what I thought you were going to be. Yep. <laughs> And no surprises on your end. (laughs) But yeah, it's, you know, I want to make space for the fact that like, I have not had the disadvantage and like, I don't have the immigrant story. And I, I would never want to like take up the space for somebody who's had that kind of, that kind of experience in in that level of like, you know, that, that burden of, of racism. Mm -hmm. And I also want to be included somewhere. And that's hard because you're like, there's nowhere, you know, it feels like a lot. It's like, well, there's this isn't me, but that's not me either. And then mm-hmm. I don't know where to go, kind of thing. Yep. And then it gets hard to talk about it too, because you don't mm-hmm. want you don't want people because people take things out of context all the time. And it's like, oh, you hate immigrants? So I was like, no, I'm not trying to erase them. I'm <laughs> exactly. just saying I don't identify with them because they don't show my struggle. And and that's something that Afro-Latinos in our community have felt for a long time yeah. because of the extreme racism and you know, anti-blackness that we have. 
you know, deeply seated in our communities and in, mm -hmm. in programs from America. Uh, and on my end, I, I look at the people in the MCU and I'm like, I love you. And I'm gonna go hard for all y'all. Cause all y'all, yeah, like all the Latinas in the F in MCU, but I'm also like, I'm a little brown girl. And like, I like I, it's funny cause people are like, well, we don't want any more stereotype looking, you know, mm. Latinos. And I'm like, but I still yeah. exist. <laughs> yeah. I still exist. Like I am like I, I'm still here. You have like people need to realize and kind of navigate the fact that there are so many experiences because mm -hmm. like my experience as a Chicana in Texas and my experiences at the Hana in San Antonio, like that is a very unique type of experience to who I am. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what the a Mexican experience is from somebody who lived in Mexico City or like everybody, like California Mexicans and Texas Mexicans are not the same mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. at all. Totally. Um, mm -hmm. Not every Latinx person is Mexican. There yeah. are so many yeah. countries in South in South and Central America. Yeah. Like yeah. there are not three Mexican countries south of the border. Oh, yikes. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And there it's, are politics between them, you know, mm -hmm. there are politics of status and, and there, you know, there are also rich white Mexicans. Yep. It's one mm -hmm. of those things where it's like, and it's also like this concept of whiteness with, within the Latino community, like, oh, yes, it's, it, it's detrimental in that, like, there is a lot of anti-blackness, but then it's also this weird thing where it's like, we're not like Latin America because a white, a white Latinx in the U.S., doesn't have the privilege that they have in Latin America. Mm -hmm. so a white Latino in the U.S. can pass unless they have an accent. Mm -hmm. Can pass mm -hmm. unless their name is Guillermo. Right. Can pass unless they're not a citizen. Mm -hmm. Can pass unless they don't speak English. Like there, there are all of these performative qualities yes. of whiteness that if you don't fit, do they have it easier? Yes. Do they have passing privilege yes but do they like it's why i don't like to say like white latino i have like i say like white passing latino because they don't mm. they don't have the same privileges afforded to white americans who aren't of latin descent because yeah. there are blockers between that right and mm -hmm. then you end up with somebody like ted cruz who mm -hmm. performs every piece of whiteness right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. he's changed his name he's distanced himself he hates other mexican or other mm -hmm. other i keep i see you say mexican not because everything is mexican just because i keep trying to speak from my own personal like experience and he he's literally attacking mexicans on the border uh, <laughs> he's the worst. yeah yeah but, you know he yeah. hates other and that that is there and that is somebody who is performing whiteness in the u.s and taking full advantage of it and then i look at somebody like my brother who is light-skinned six foot three he's a white mexican-american but at the same time he's not living in those realms of privilege because he's had my mom pick him up who's darker than me and and he's had somebody call her a wetback and then he punched mm. him um and that was his first time he ever got in trouble but like and it was a friend but who just didn't know that his mom was brown mm. It's weird when you get into like these, like it, it's not cut and dry. And it's one of the reasons why yeah. I hate seeing people who aren't Latin talk yeah. about this stuff because they don't understand the nuances. And they the emotional understand. attachment to exactly. each nuance, to each, mm -hmm. each of those things that you just talked about. It's loaded. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a nice thing about Mario 
on the show on on my blog mm-hmm. because he and I haven't given enough thought and I will now <laughs> that I'm thinking about <laughs> it. But the fact that he shows up at the door with a a white girl who's like the worst. <laughs> She's just kind of the worst. Yes. He can, I I I'd be interesting to think about him like at Berkeley, right? Mm-hmm. Cuz like he probably can pass cuz he doesn't I I'm trying to like hear his voice, but I don't First of all, he's no. very very attractive like oh, he doesn't I, have he's an like, accent at all. He doesn't have an accent at all and he's like fair. He he he's like ambiguous. He's ambiguous. Yeah. Like he could be Greek. Huh? You know, mm-hmm. like if it given the right context or like the lack of context, you, yeah. you pluck him out and you put him in Berkeley, he could kind of have a variety of different backgrounds. And the fact that like he's gone down this path with this, I don't know what you would call her, but her brand of like weird, fake, woke. She's progressive woke Twitter. Like that's what she is. <laughs> yeah. she's, she's the well-meaning white woman who doesn't know actually what anything she's saying. Yeah. I'm so glad we got that. Like she bugged me so bad, but I'm glad that we got that story. And you know, the second that he gets back to his community, he wants, he wants what is there for him. He, he, he does He kind of like almost instantly forgets the hideaway camp, you know, the Berkeley Mm -hmm. campus experience. It doesn't seem like he's itching to get back to that. It seems more like he, he occupies this weird space where he has achievement and he has this access, this opportunity that other people don't have. But at the same time, he longs for home. Yeah. You know, which yeah. I think is what to, to, to kind of your point. We need all of those. We need, we need little pins in all of the different regions of identity. And it's impossible to do in a series and they do a really, really good job, but yeah. it's just impossible. It's impossible to do when you have so few episodes and you also have this like underplot of like, you know, a heist and like, you know, shenanigans yeah. <laughs> and it's a comedy. So yeah. <laughs> you can only do so much. I think that they did well. I do wish that they had done a couple things a little bit differently, more like a little more, but with Ruby and how he is going through his PTSD. Yeah. Cause that's a whole other thing. The amount, the ways in which trauma in neighborhoods where you have high amounts of poverty and violence, mm-hmm. you know, that's the greatest sickness I think our country is facing at the moment. Yeah. No, I mean, I completely agree with you there. Yeah. So how do you cover all of that? You can't. So that's why you we get multiple season. shows. Yes, you- exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, we should write that show. Okay. So we should wrap it up. Okay, so let's talk. Let's close out with just one scene. You can only pick one. Oh, I hate these questions. Well, just maybe the first that comes to mind. It doesn't have to okay. be the favorite, but just okay. just just talking about one that really meant something to you from season two of On My Block. Fuck, there's so many. Mm. I can go first if you're thinking. Yeah, I go first. <laughs> okay, so. There's a scene where Caesar's in the uh, the shelter and he ends up having this conversation with this like older guy and basically the, he he's like an immigrant and he's you know he's at the shelter because he's he's afraid and so they kind of like bond and then the scene that I'm thinking of is basically when like I think they're at a church and like the priest comes in and it's become clear that 
Caesar's in a gang and the person rejects him and basically is like, you're evil. And you just see on his face, this hopelessness. And um, I mean, I think a variety of emotions, but wanting in one second to explain his entire life and what it is that led him to here, because he feels responsible for representing this evil, even though he clearly isn't to him. And he knows that about himself, but he wants other people to recognize that too. And at the same time, he just wants to sleep. Yeah. That, that meant a lot about representing kids who are treated like adults, but who are not adults. They can't make those decisions one cognitively, but two legally, he can't just go and get an apartment or whatever. That representation I thought was really, 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 really important, especially considering that Los Angeles County has the highest amount of homeless youth in the country. Yeah. So I actually think the scene for me, it's really small and it's not super impactful. And I don't know if it'll be impactful for other people, but it's the scene at the very end of this of the season where Monse is trying to get on the bus with Caesar mm. and he forces her to not. Right. Mm. Like, I mean, it's terrible because he had sex with somebody else like that. That's shitty. But at the end of the day, he cared about her enough to know that he didn't want that life for her. Mm. And the reason this is important is because like I was with my high school sweetheart for five years um, and our junior year, Um, I guess like childhood, I don't know, junior year of high school, he just (laughs) ghosted before ghosted was a thing. And it was terrifying because he was homeless. Mm. My parents had been putting him up and then he was gone. Mm. And I didn't know where he was going. I didn't know where he was sleeping. I didn't know what he was doing. I didn't know if he was okay. I didn't know if he was alive. Um, I got in touch with him. My Freshman, yeah, freshman year of college. And he told me, he was like, I didn't want that for you. Wow. He was like, you weren't going to break up with me. Mm-hmm. And fucking hurts talking about it. But it, it it's one of those things that like, that's why I didn't write about season one because of all the stuff they went through. And then seeing that episode for me was like, oh, shit. Mm-hmm. Like that, like I've, I've, I've been on the receiving end of that, but I know where it's coming from. And I know for people, like people were like, oh, fuck Caesar. Like, can't believe he did this. He slept with somebody else. This is terrible. He's hurting Monse's feelings. Yeah, he did, but he had a reason. Like he did not want her to throw that away. I mean, obviously like in revealing the plan, we know that he, you know, it would have stopped it. But I think it's just from this deeper sense of like, it was clear that Monse was going to stay by his side and not leave him. And I think he loved her enough to be like, well, you have to. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And how unacceptable that is as a society that we're forcing people into that type of decision making where there's something that's really loving and beautiful about that. Mm hmm. But that should be in scale. That should be like much, 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 much smaller because it's not fair. It's just not fair to put the weight of that kind of survival. And that's not, that's not okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's important for us to see that. And it's important to know that that's authentic. Yeah. I think I value that you shared that. Yeah. That's the scene. (laughs) (laughs) Did you stay in touch with him through the years or? 
Not really. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, not really. I, he ended up going to prison. I know that. And he was in prison while I was an undergrad. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I was actually at an academic conference in San Antonio. We went to go eat at a, um, at a barbecue place downtown, like like, it's more like an upscale barbecue place. And he was waiting tables. Mm. And there was a part of me that was like, oh, shit, he's okay. And then there is another part of me that was like, oh, fuck. We're the same age and I'm here doing this and you're here doing this. Uh, uh But I mean, at the end of the day, like we make our choices. And and fortunately, our society isn't built to help us make good choices all the time. Uh But we still make those choices. Like I I don't want to sound or like belittle like the, the, the fact that stuff happens. But like I... I, he wasn't the only guy I knew in high school that was like that, right? Like mm-hmm. there were other choices that were made, but you know, life, life sometimes forces your hand. Mm-hmm. But now, I mean, I, I don't, I haven't talked to him. Don't, I don't even think about him really until I watch this show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. That totally makes sense. Yeah. Definitely. But it's, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, we are definitely interested listeners in what you think about on my block and how it touched you and, you know, where you might, yeah, where, where you are at with this discussion about, I guess, about inclusion and identity representation, the same thing we're talking about always, the important stuff, but, but with this series in particular, and I think with those sensitivities that, that I'm definitely interested in those spots where it just looks like your life um, and yeah. why that, why that's important. So definitely tweet at us. Um, we're on Twitter at three sipping sisters. Um, and where can they find you? I know you said at the top of the episode too, but what, where can they find you on, on Twitter or on social media? Yeah. So you can find my podcast and everything that I do on at, but why PC on Twitter. And you can find me personally on at, Oh, my myth Rand your O H M Y M I T H R A N D I R. It's a really nerdy reference that not all everybody knows, but if you get it, you get a gold star. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. All right, sipsters, have a great night. Bye.